So today we are looking at the life of Abraham, and he is referred to as Abram early on in the story, and then later his name is changed to Abraham. So I'll probably refer to him as Abraham throughout because that's the name that I know best. Um, But we'll talk about that when we get there. Abraham is a pillar of the faith. Uh, He is one of our great ancestors, and his story is so basic uh, to and, and fundamental to understanding our own. Uh, it could be said that the life of Abraham is a paradigm for the Christian life. This is to say that his story is our story. And so what is it about this man, Abraham, that is so basic and fundamental to understanding our own? The Apostle Paul tells us that Abraham is the father of all those who believe. So today, we're going to look at three aspects of Abraham's life. And you'll see that Abraham's life can be broken down into three parts. Uh, Abraham's life can be described as one of promise, of testing, and of blessing. So promise, testing, and blessing. And we'll see that when we look at his life, that these three pillars characterize not only his life, but the life of every true believer. So we begin by looking at the promise made to Abraham, and we'll see that pattern that I mentioned throughout his life, and we'll read different uh, portions of the scripture that show us uh, those sections of Abraham's life that we're focusing in, focusing in on today. So we begin with a promise, uh, which is made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And there we see that the Lord promises three things to Abraham. He promises Abraham a land, a seed, and a blessing. So we're looking at the promise, but here we see there's three things in this promise that the Lord makes to Abraham. In verse 1 of chapter 12, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you have to understand that Abraham comes from a pagan land. Abraham was uh, born into a pagan household. His father actually worshipped moon gods, according to Joshua. But Abraham is one of the chosen few. He is part of the godly line that still honored God after the fall. Uh, Men like Abraham, Uh, Adam and his son, and last week we saw Noah and his children all honored the Lord, and Abraham comes in that line. He is one of their descendants. And so God sets him apart and says, get out of this place to a land that I'm going to give you. And God promises to give Abraham a land for himself and for his family to dwell in and to worship God and to be a witness to the rest of the world. Further, 
God not only promises to give him a land, but God tells him that in him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That is, in his seed, in his descendants, the whole world will be blessed. Again, God is carrying out this original promise that he made in the garden to Eve that said her seed would crush the head of the serpent. We saw last week that promise was carried on uh, by Noah and his descendants, and this week we see that it is carried on still with Abraham and his. It's the same promise that is reiterated again and again throughout human history. And you'll see that as God comes and establishes this covenant with His people, He'll reiterate it and then He'll add a little bit more revelation to it. That is, He'll reveal a little bit more about it to us. And if you remember last week, we saw that Noah and his descendants were to multiply and to take dominion uh, just as Adam and Eve were, but they were also given the right to exercise capital punishment and then to eat meat. And here we see that that promise comes even into greater focus with Abraham and his family because God decides that He's going to take this one man and use him, him and his family to undo the sin of Adam in the world. He's going to do that through Abraham and his descendants. And so He sets him and his family apart for this very purpose. <clears throat> and the story uh, God promises to give, uh, in the story, God promises to give Abraham a seed. And we know that in the story that that seed refers specifically to Isaac, his son. But it refers more broadly to the people of God in general and ultimately to Christ, which we know. Remember, we said that word seed can be used in the uh, singular or the plural. Just like our word deer, there's deer out there. Well, is it one deer or is it many deer? It could be either. And it's the same thing here. So it's, it's referring to Isaac, it's referring to the people of God, but ultimately it's referring to Christ. Finally, Abraham is told that those who bless him would be blessed, and those that curse him would be cursed. And this is the paradigm that we see throughout human history as the people in the surrounding nations come up to bless the people of God, that is to make covenant with them and to honor their God and protect them and provide for them, they are blessed. But if they curse the people of God and they persecute the people of God and make war with them, God removes them from the scene. They are cursed. Uh, and this is the story of human history in a nutshell. If you look at human history on a broad scale, you will see that the, that the church is center stage. And this is what God is always doing in the world. As the people around the church come up and bless them, uh, those people are blessed. But if they persecute the church, they are undone and they are removed from the scene and God establishes His church because that is the program that He has determined to bless the world through. So the church remains. You look at human history on a broad scale, you'll see that. God continually does that. And He makes that original promise here to do it. So, Abraham has made a promise. Remember we said first, Abraham receives a promise, and then he is tested. So first a promise, and then a test. Abraham has made this promise by God, and then he's immediately tested. 
And we see that in verse 10 of chapter 12. If you drop down and look at verse 10, we read, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. <clears throat> so here we see God forces Abraham, at this time Abram, out of the land. So he gives him this land, and as soon as he starts to get settled, he's unsettled. <laughs> A famine breaks out, and so he has to go down to Egypt in order to be able to eat. So God is pushing Abraham out of the land into Egypt. And this is where God provides an initial test for Abraham and his bride. This is where the serpent attacks. Um, whenever Abraham goes down into a pagan land, uh, he is in fear for his life because his wife is a beautiful woman. And so he fears that they will try to kill him or that they will kill him and take his wife. And so what Abraham does with his wife is they come up with this elaborate plot to deceive the enemy when they go into the land. They will lie to the enemy and tell them that they are brother and sister so that this pagan king doesn't come and kill Abraham. And you have to understand that in the ancient world, uh, if a man wanted to court a woman, he had to go and talk to her brother because the brother was the protector and the provider. So they would come to Abraham, and Abraham knew this, and of course he would turn them down. <clears throat> and this is exactly what happens when Abraham goes down into Egypt. Uh, when he goes into a pagan land with Sarah, he says, she is my sister. And why are they doing this? Why are they lying to these kings? Well, they're trying to uh, protect the family line. Remember, God says that he's going to raise up a seed for himself through Abraham. So the devil knows that if he can get Sarah pregnant by another man, by a wicked man, he can thwart the plan and purposes of God. So what he does is he stirs up these pagan kings to try to take Sarah and impregnate them for himself. <clears throat> what Sarah does here is not objectionable at all by lying to these pagan kings. You have to remember that this is war. And during times of war in the Old Testament... Women will lie in order to further the plan and purposes of God in the world. They, what they do is they flip the tactic of the enemy on its head. If you remember back in the garden, what does the devil do? He lies to the woman in order to deceive her. And so the women, the godly women throughout Scripture, they lie right back to the devil. And this is what Sarah and Abraham do here. As a matter of fact, God commends what Sarah does here um, by blessing Abraham <laughs> and sending him out of Egypt with all sorts of spoils to bring uh, with him. And he first does that. He gives him all of these uh, monetary gains. And then he plagues Pharaoh's house. So plagues come on him. And then Abraham plagues on Egypt. And then Abraham leaves with all of these spoils. That story might sound familiar to you. It's going to happen later on again and again. So Abraham's given a promise, then immediately he is tested. <clears throat> Will he protect the promise by doing whatever it takes to ensure that he lives and Sarah and his children, uh, Sarah has his children as God, as God has promised. 
So there's a promise and a test, right? Next, we see that God comes back and he blesses Abraham for his obedience. So promise, testing, blessing. After this, Abraham goes to war with the king of the land at that time, Kedolaomer, and he gains a victory. So God starts giving uh, Abraham victory after victory in the land, and he's giving him more freedom uh, to roam about in the land. And in order to quiet any fears that he might have about having to war like this with the men in the land all of his life in order to get it, God comes and reaffirms this promise to him. In Genesis chapter 15, we see in verses 1 through 6, God reaffirms the covenant to Abraham. <clears throat> Genesis 15.1 reads, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So now Abraham knows his wife Sarah is going to bear him a son in whom the world will be blessed. And he believes it. And it is accounted to him as righteousness here in this instance. You have to keep in focus. It's nothing that Abraham does here to receive these promises. God saves Abraham from a pagan land by his grace and by grace alone. And he believes these promises by faith and faith alone. And in this instance, he's believing in the promised seed that God said he would give him. God counts that to him as righteousness. But let, let's not forget about Abraham's little bout with disobedience. You may remember the story of uh, Sarah and Hagar. Abraham departs from the plan of God and he tries to establish this promise on his own. Something interesting happens now in Abraham's story. God has been giving all of these promises to Abraham by grace, but now he's going to try to establish them in the enemy in the energy of his flesh. That is, he's going to seek to obtain them by good works. <clears throat> um, you have to understand that the name Abram can literally be translated "exalted father." If you put Abe and um, Abe and Rem, yeah, Ab and Rem together, exalted father. So. Um, that's his name. And we could surmise that there were times when people heard of Abram, exalted father, and would come to him and say, well, how many children do you have, exalted father? And up until this point, he would have to say zero, because God had not given him any children yet. And you've got to remember that Abram was 75 years old when God initially made him this promise and this is now, say, it's probably 10, 15 years later, and he still has no children. 
And so he was probably getting a little bit antsy right about now, don't you think? (laughs) When is this thing going to happen? And this is where Sarah presents him with the temptation to go into her handmaid. That is, they seek to obtain the promise on their own through natural means. Sarah is also old at this point. She's probably around 75 years old. So her and her old man are pushing 100, and they're thinking, there's no way we're going to be able to have children. We're going to be 100 years old soon. How are we going to actually have babies? And so Abraham and Sarah, what they do here is they enter into the old Sid of Adam and Eve, and they seek to obtain the blessing before the time. Remember the story? We've been talking about it as we go throughout. We have another Garden of Eden scene here. Sarah has been tricked, most assuredly, by the devil into believing that they can obtain the promise of God all on their own. And so she takes the forbidden fruit, in this case, her handmaid Hagar, and gives it to Abraham, and he bites in. In the energy of their own flesh, Abraham and Sarah seek to establish the promise of God. And if you know the story, this does nothing but create um, enmity and strife in their home. So what does God do? Does God condemn them and cast them off at this point? Does He say, I'm done with you? It's all over? No, He comes back and He establishes His covenant with them again. In His grace... God comes back and makes the promise again. And the whole pattern starts all over. God makes the promise to him. Abraham is tested. And then he is blessed. Nobody will ever obtain the promises of God by good works. It is not possible to do. He establishes them with us solely by His grace. And He comes and He does just that again in Genesis chapter 17. If you look there. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. I probably would have too. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So God here reaffirms 
his covenant with Abraham. He renames him, and then he gives him a sign of that covenant blessing as a reminder. Excuse me. Abraham is now renamed to Abraham. Abram is renamed to Abraham, which means father of many nations. The promise that he and Sarah would have a son in whom the whole world would be blessed is reiterated here in and again in chapter 18. And even knowing at this point Abraham only has one son by Sarah's handmaid, Hagar, he has to believe that Sarah will still conceive and bear him a son one day in whom these promises would be fulfilled. Further, there's a covenant sign that's given. That is the sign of circumcision, which is to be a reminder to the household of Abraham that through them, through their descendants, he's going to establish this covenant. It is directly through this man's lineage that God will fulfill the promise that he made to the woman in the garden that seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. It's coming through Abraham's line now. God's going to put the enmity between them, between the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent, to bed once and for all. And it's through the family of Abraham and Sarah that he will do it. Therefore, every man that's born to the house now will receive this sign of the promise or of the covenant. Excuse me. So God comes and reiterates that promise to Abraham after his sin and gives him this sign to remind him that he will fulfill it. But again, remember our pattern. Abraham receives a promise, then he's tested, and then he receives blessing as a result of his obedience and faithfulness. So after this, you have the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah, if you're following along in your Bibles. And afterward, Abraham ends up moving into the land of Gerar, which is Philistine territory. And it's possible that Abraham was forced to go here after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. All that dust and that soot settling in the, man, in the land would have been um, an unhospitable environment for his flocks. And so he would have to move them to greener pastures. So again, God puts Abraham into enemy territory. It's interesting, if you go back and you look at the history of the Philistines, the Philistines descend from Egypt. So Abraham's running into some Egyptians here again. He runs into the king of the Philistines, Ambimelech. And again, we have the whole story of Abraham's testing uh, repeated over again. Abraham and Sarah once again deceive the pagan king and tell, tell him that Sarah is his sister. And since Abraham feared that Ambimelech would kill him and take his wife, once again, him and Sarah, <clears throat> um, and so once again, him and Sarah are faithfully protecting the godly line. And this is exactly what happens when he goes down there. The devil stirs up Ambimelech, the king of the Philistines, to take Abraham's wife, and there's no fear of God in the land whatsoever. He's not even going to come and talk to Abram about it. He just takes Sarah for himself into the harem, and so God intervenes. God comes to uh, Ambimelech in a dream by night, and tells him that he's basically going to kill him if he doesn't give Abraham his wife back. And Abimelech repents at this. He's like, he realizes what's going on and that God is with this man, and he gives Abraham his wife back. And again, he gives Abraham all of these spoils, all of these monetary blessings, and he sends him out into the land, and he says, you can go and dwell wherever you want. (laughs) So it's the story all over again. So, Abraham was given promises, he was tested, 
and he was found faithful. And now as a result, God blesses him. Abraham is made a rich man by his run-ins with all these kings as he goes throughout the land. And each time he's given more and more freedom to dwell and to roam throughout the land that God is giving to him. God is giving him territory um, as he moves throughout. But more than all that, God finally comes and gives the promised son to Abraham as a result. God has promised this from the beginning. Abraham has been faithful. He's testing him. And God is delivering on his promise. So again, we have the threefold pattern, promise, testing, and blessing. Uh, If you look at chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, uh, we see there uh, Abraham finally receiving the son of promise. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. uh, He receives the blessing, but you may remember what happens after this. Um, He's immediately tested again. But quickly, verse 1, The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So he gets the promised son. He receives the blessing. But you may remember what happens after this. God immediately comes back and tests Abraham again. He says, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him up to me as a sacrifice. <laughs> and you may have think, you might think that Abraham was kind of looking at God cross-eyed at this point. The son that you've been promising me all of this time, the one that this whole thing has been about, you want me to go and offer him as a sacrifice now? But that's not what happens at all. Abraham doesn't scoff. He doesn't kick rocks. He doesn't um, smack his lips or anything. The Bible says he saddled his donkey, he got the wood and his son and some other young men, and he went over to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. And as a matter of fact, uh, he tells the young men that go with him, me and the lad are going over there to worship, but we will return to you. We will return to you. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham Abraham reasoned within himself that even if he was to put um, Isaac to death at this point, that God would have raised him from the dead. Because you've got to remember, this is the promised son. This is the one that God is going to ensure that the world would be blessed through. And God does. He intervenes at the last moment, if you remember Uh, the story, and he provides a ram in his place. Abraham, God stops him, and Abraham looks, and there's a ram caught in the thicket by its horns, and Abraham takes that ram and offers him in the place of his son Isaac. In uh, 22, verses 16 through 18, we read, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, 
And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God blesses Abraham as a result of his faithful obedience here. And in this story, you may hear one that sounds similar to our own. Did you pick up on that? Has God made promises to us in the promise that He made to Abraham? Does Abraham's story ring a bell? Who is the promised seed that would come from the line of Abraham? Well, we've said that first of all, it is Isaac, but we know that ultimately it is the Christ, Jesus, who would come from the line of Isaac. And if you remember back to our first sermon, we said God made a promise to us in the beginning. He made a covenant, is a better way to put it. He covenanted with us in the beginning to save us for Himself in Jesus Christ. So God begins by making a promise, by making a covenant. God bound Himself by a covenant oath from the very beginning. And God did not spare His Son, His only Son, whom He loved, to do it. God in His grace spared Abraham's son, but 2,000 years later, He does not spare His own. 2,000 years later, we see another son, another bundle of wood, and another hill. Interestingly enough, it's a hill that's in the same vicinity in which Isaac was offered up. And in that instance, God does not withhold the knife. God does not spare his son, but he slaughters him in our place on the cross of Calvary. In the story of Abraham, God provided a ram for himself, but in our story, he has provided Jesus himself as our substitute. Christian, Abraham's story is our story. And again, we see this in three ways. Our life is a life of promise and of testing and of blessing. First, ours is a story of promise and grace. We all began like Abraham in the household of rebellion, right? We didn't deserve the favor of God. He just showed it to us. One day, He showed up and He called us from who we were and where we were to go and follow Him. And that could be from our baptism. It doesn't matter if it was from our baptism as a baby or as a little child or out of a life of out-and-out paganism. It makes no difference. We are called to become part of a new community of people to whom God has made promises by His grace. And just like Abraham, there's a calling and a promise. God calls us from our sinful state of rebellion to follow Christ, and we are to follow Christ into the promised land. He's leading us into the promised land. And in the New Testament, the promised land has been universalized under Christ, and now God is giving us the whole world in Him, but we have to follow Him into it. We have to follow Jesus, whom He has given us. Many times, that is into a life of trial and testing. Has anybody ever noticed that the Christian life just seems like one test after another? 
I mean, does it ever end? It, doesn't it always just seem like there's something else on the horizon? And once you get through with one trial and one test, here comes another one. And then one of your loved ones dies. And then one of your friends dies and one of your close acquaintances. And you've got new responsibilities that are being heaped up on top of old responsibilities. And you've got all the stuff that you've got to try to get done by the end of the week. And then you've got a cold and you've got to try to do it all while you're sick. And you've got a surgery coming up and the mortgage is due. You've got to try to lead your family spiritually and make it to here uh, to uh, church to worship with us on Sunday. And it all seems like it's too much. Right? The life of a Christian is a one of continual testing. And for you kids and for you teenagers, is it not the same? You have responsibilities that you need to tend to for school and for other programs, right? And then you have to come to Bible study and to youth group and to church on Sunday and your friends are asking you why you're not showing up, right? You've got all these other extracurricular activities that you're supposed to attend to at school, and it seems like the soccer tournament is always scheduled for the same day that you're supposed to be to church on Sunday, and you're always being pulled in one direction or the other, right? You're always being confronted by a secular, unbelieving worldview that says God is dead and religion is bunk, and the only thing that matters is if you uh, get make it through school and go to college, so that you can get yourself a degree and a good job. And all your friends are telling you the same thing. And it's a test. It's a test. God is testing you to teach you to rely on Him and to be obedient to Him. And for all of us, let's not forget about the one time that Abraham tried to, de- tried to make it on his own, right? When he tried to establish the promises on his own. Christian, that's supposed to be an encouragement to you. Do you ever fall victim to sin and temptation? <laughs> Do you feel yourself giving into your desires? You're disobeying God. You're always messing up. You're just one big hot mess. You're always trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and, and you're trying to uh, do it all on your own and you've got yourself worked up into a tizzy. Well, be of good cheer. So did Abraham. So did Abraham. And God does not forget you during these times. God does not break His promises to you just like He didn't break them to Abraham. God is saving you by His grace even in these things. He's working during these times when you mess up, when you sin, and when you try to do it all on your own without His help to teach you to trust in Him. Because you can't do it on your own. And you're going to mess up, and you're going to fail, and you're going to disobey. That's why we need Jesus. So you're not the first one. God is with you, even in your mess. He never forgets His promises. Each one of us are Abraham. And we have to learn by faithfully obeying God through trials to trust in Him. And He will deliver us, and He will bless us, and He will provide for us. You can just go and ask some of the older folks in this church if God was always there for them, and they will tell you He was. They will tell you that He always provided for them, that He was always with them, that He always gave them exactly what they needed right when they needed it. Because this is our story. It's Abraham's story, and it's every Christian's story. 
So believer, when you're faced with trials, remember that God has made promises to you in Jesus Christ. And remember how God has delivered you in the past. And remember how He delivered our father, Abraham. And remember that He provided a ram for Himself in the story of Abraham. And He has provided a ram for you as an offering. And with Him, everything that you will need for this life of faith.